How many of you have read the excellent book? I see it. It's in the bookshelf. It's that light blue one right there on the third row on the left-hand side. It's entitled Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. How many of you have read this book? Mama Mia. You must read this book. How many, well, since none of you have read it, I was going to ask how many of you have reread it. I have reread it, and I don't do that very often. Uh, I'm always ready to move on to, to something new, but this book, to me, it's fundamentally important. I would recommend it to every earnest Christian uh, to know about the message in this book. Who remembers the lesson of Psalm 23, verse 4? David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and remember we asked the question, why does the Good Shepherd take the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death? Does anybody remember the answer to that question? To get to the other side, right? To get to a better place. The Good Shepherd takes the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death because the Good Shepherd is taking the sheep to a better place. This is, uh, I hope, something that we all understand. The entirety of that verse is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says what? I fear no evil for you. My God are with me. Amen? We've been talking a lot about this the last four or five weeks as we've been in the Psalms just beholding the greatness of God. Beholding, we could say, the Godness of God. David could walk through the valley of the shadow of death because he was with his God and his God was with him. And this always holds true in the true believer's life. You are always with God and God is always with you. Whom shall we fear? The song choice was, was perfect. Whatever comes, comes. Amen? I trust God. In our young adult Bible study Thursday evening, the question was raised, how can I trust God? In a, the word that was used was existential sense. Very impressive word. I think what he meant by it was in a practical sense, a day-to-day -day sense. How can I really know that I can trust God? And I told the questioner that if you're trusting God to be something less than He is, you can't trust Him at all for that. I don't think it was the answer that he expected. If you're trusting Him to give you something less than Himself... You can't trust Him for that. God has promised to give you Himself. And if there's anything in between you and God, He will remove it. Ergo, the title of the book, Shattered Dreams. Um, if you trust God to do less than He has promised to do in your life, which is to give you an unobstructed view of Him, you can't trust Him for those things. You can't trust Him for those lesser pleasures, those lesser desires. He may well give them because He's a good and gracious God. He loves to shower His people with good things, but preeminently He's going to give you the best thing, and that's Himself. 
Even if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's determined to give you Himself. Do you understand? This is the message of shattered dreams. If you are doing what many who call themselves Christians are doing in this weak era, if you are seeking to use God instead of enjoy God, you can't trust Him for that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's pathetic and sad that people think God is like Santa Claus. God is a lucky charm. God is a rabbit's foot. You know, if I rub Him just right, He'll perform for me. It doesn't work like that, beloved. Have you read your Bible? <laughs> I know that if you've been in this church for a while, you understand it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You cannot trust Him to let you use Him. If you're trying to use God, if you're trying to keep God working for you, if it's good for business, if it's good for your relationship, if it's good for your career, if that's how you see it, if that's, how you're, if, 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 if it's, if that's really what's in your heart, your mind, you can count on it. God's going to blow that up. He's going to blow it up. Ergo, the title. Shattered dreams. If you really desire something in this life more than you desire Him, He'll blow it up. Because He's not going to let you settle for something less. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. He's not going to let you settle for some, some lesser dream, some lesser pleasure. He's going to bring you to Himself. He's, that's what He's doing. He's bringing you to Himself. Utterly and completely and totally and absolutely. If there's something between you and God, you can trust Him to remove it. He will. So, um, if you desire anything more than Him, and it can be a legitimate desire. I'm talking about a desire, anything that you desire more than Him. And let, let, me just, let me just stop and ask. Let's just be honest. It's between you and God right now in your chair. Do you desire anything more than you desire Jesus Christ? Just be honest with yourself. Just be honest with God. Is there something you desire more than Jesus Christ? Is there something you pursue more than Jesus Christ? Do you sp is there something you spend more time dreaming and thinking about than Jesus Christ? Beloved, God may, be, God may have a shattered dream in your future. If you're cherishing something more than you cherish Him, you can trust Him for that. He's going to blow that up. He may give it back to you. <laughs> Redeemed. You know, that's what Christianity is, right? In large measure. It's about the resurrection. He may resurrect that dream where He's preeminently uh, enjoyed. It's a great book. Um, I hope that some of you will take time to read it. If the honest answer to the question, do you desire anything more than you desire God? 
there is a shattered dream in your future. Because if you really belong to Him, if you're really His, now, you know, again, I always quantify this. If you're just merely playing church with Him, uh, that's another matter. That's another sermon. But if you're really His, you really love Him, you really are following Him, you're really giving your life to Him, you're serious about being a disciple, you're serious about being in the body of Christ, you're serious about loving and serving the brethren, if you're serious about that and you've become distracted, something shiny in the world, that you're pursuing more than you're pursuing Him, count on it, the shattered dream is coming. He's not going to let you do that. He loves you too much to allow you to pursue and love something more than Him. Larry Crabb says this really well. Trusting God is a dangerous business unless we're trusting Him for what He's actually promised to provide. And I know you guys, I know you guys are inundated. Some of you have come out of it, the prosperity garbage that elevates the blessing over the one who blesses. It's heresy. It's apostasy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. All you have to do is read your Bible. God's primary objective in your life is to not give you a happy life as far as circumstances are concerned. His prime objective is that you fall in love with Him and you fall so in love with Him that everything else just kind of falls in after that. But you fall so in love with Him. There's such a deep intimacy and such a, a deep relationship with God that you truly enjoy Him above all things. <laughs> you truly enjoy Him above all things. Many in the modern church, again, what is called the modern church, they believe Christianity is simply adding Jesus to your life because He'll give you more stuff. You know, I, I, I'm adding Jesus to my life because he's, he's, he's Santa Claus. I'm adding Jesus to my life because He's a lucky charm. I'm adding, adding Jesus to my life because He's a cosmic slot machine. Again, this is blasphemy and apostasy. God's not simply in the business of giving you a good life. A happy, quote-unquote, happy life. We talked about it Thursday night in Young Adult Bible Study. What, what is the meaning of happiness? It's always based on circumstance. God aims at something much deeper than happiness. What's He aiming at? He's aiming at intimacy and joy. This is what God's aiming at in your life. It's not happiness in some superficial way. It's intimacy with Him. And as John 17 says, the joy that only He can give. He gives divine joy. He's not going to let you waste your life on sugar-coated misery, as we've been talking about the last few days, He's not going to let you waste your life on stuff that can't fill up the, the eternity that's in your soul. He's going to blow that up. So you'll feast on Him. That's really what it's about, beloved. And yet we talked about Paul just for a few minutes and you know, we don't bother study. 
Did Paul have a happy life? You remember, the Lord said, I'll show him all that he must suffer for my sake. Amen? And I went down the list. I looked at the list, 2 Corinthians 11. He had many imprisonments. He was beaten without, times without number. 30 time, nine, uh, 39 lashes five times. He's beaten with rods three times. Once he was stoned, he was shipwrecked three times. He was in countless dangers, hardships. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was in the cold. He was exposed. His life was full of labors and concerns, and he had many sleepless nights. Now, does that sound like a comfortable, easy life? Here's probably the, the, you know, the best Christian who ever walked. I know he wouldn't want to take that mantle upon himself in all humility. And he had this deep intimacy with God. You remember, he, you remember when, when he and Silas got thrown into, in, in jail. They were, they were wringing their hands and moaning and groaning and saying, woe is me. And No, no, wait a minute. That was, no. No, what did Paul and Silas do? They were singing. They were praising God. He had this unassailable joy. It wasn't about circumstance. It was about intimacy with God. Larry Crabb. Then I'll get into the text. God's not going to let you settle for anything less than Him, beloved. You got that? So if you're loving and pursuing anything less than God, if you don't get that sorted out, God will get it sorted out. Larry Crabb says it like this. Our shattered dreams are never random. They're always a piece in a larger puzzle, a chapter in... God's larger story, pain, is a tragedy, but it's never only a tragedy. For the Christian, it's always a necessary mile on the long journey to joy. An opportunity to, to embrace and to discover our desire for the highest blessing God wants to give us, which is, someone tell me, Himself. So, I'm going to stop and ask you again. Do you desire, love, and pursue anything above Jesus Christ? Just be honest. It's just you and God. No one else knows what's going on in your mind and your heart. It's you and God. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to deal with that. I'm going to challenge you to deal with that tonight. And even as you leave, if that's true in your life, I'm challenging you to deal with it. If you belong to Him, He will not let you stay there. He will not. You can't trust Him for anything less than what He's promised. And He's promised a deep, life-changing, eternity-shifting relationship with Himself. That's how much He loves you. <laughs> uh, in my 30 years of laying vocational ministry, the problem that, that most people say they have with God is that some cherished dream will blow up and, and, and then God is silent and, and they rail and, or, or at least question, where's God? Why did this happen? Where's God? Well, we know if we've been listening for the last, I don't know, three or four or five months, we know God's in the whirlwind. God is in the trouble. God is in the trial. He's sovereign in these things. 
the question, if the question is, where's God? The answer is, He's right there with you in that trouble. I said it to you about three or four weeks ago. How many guys did God throw in, or how many guys did Nebuchadnezzar throw in the fire? He threw three in. How many were in there? Four. God is with His people in the trial. And let me just say this. I'm 50. I'll be 59 soon. I've had some shattered dreams. And what I want to say to you, if you haven't had them, you will. And what I want to say to you is what I always say to you about trials. Don't be surprised when they come. You know, you're supposed to expect them. They are coming. The trial is coming. The troubles are coming. We're not immune to these things. Even as Christians, we're not immune. Even as sons and daughters of the King, we're not immune to troubles and trials and afflictions. We read off the list last week of things that we certainly are subject to as all who live in this fallen world. When the shattered dream comes, just as when the trial comes, and they may be one and the same, God is loving you, beloved. You need to remember, God is loving you. God is blowing up something in your life that must be destroyed in order that you can enter into a deeper place with Him. This is just biblical truth. This is just biblical, and I, I know it's. I know I know so-called pastors and preachers and whatever denominations. I know they stand God's word on his on its head. I know they do this, and and I know they blaspheme Him. They blaspheme His word. I, I get that, but it's your responsibility to know what this really says. It's your responsibility to weigh it out and know what it really says. And then God expects you to live it out. And when the trial comes, when the shattered dream comes, you know what it's about. God's in this. God's doing something. I'm going to trust Him in it. And if I need to repent of a sin, if I need to repent of something that I've put before God, I repent. Can you believe that? Nobody ever calls me. <laughs> Mama Mia. Nobody ever calls me. Wait a minute. It might be important. <laughs> You're supposed to know this. And when the shattered dream comes, I'm not saying it's not hard. I, you haven't heard me say that yet. I'm not saying it's not hard. It is hard sometimes. It is hard. But if you release yourself into God's hands, release your dream, your shattered dream, into God's hands, you know what He'll do? I can give personal testimony. He'll redeem it. He'll redeem it. And it'll be far bigger and far better than you ever imagined. As you submit it to His Lordship and authority. So this is a, a large part of what's happening in Psalm 42. Yeah, long introduction. I got a little excited. I'm sorry. The psalmist is in the midst of a trial. Something's gone wrong. A cherished dream or desire has been shattered even if it's the simplistic dream that many have of simply a trouble-free, comfortable life. 
You know, a lot of people, it's just, man, I just want to have a comfortable life. I just want life to be comfortable and I expect God to deliver a comfortable life. God's never promised you a comfortable life, beloved. He's never promised you an easy life. He's never promised you a prosperous life. You know, all of these promises about wholeness and prosperity, it's about there. It's not about here. It's about there. Yes, He may prosper you in this life. He's not obliged to. Just because He's so good, He might. He's not obliged to. God is obliged to no man. (laughs) Not even the redeemed. Not even His bride. The psalmist is disillusioned. He's disappointed. He's full of sorrow and grief. And we didn't read the text, did we, Blessing? I'll read it as I preach it. You guys, I hope you've turned to Psalm 42. The pain is real. The dream is shattered. His His heartache is acute. And I want you to watch the struggle. You'll all be familiar with it. If you're a Christian... If you're born again in here tonight, you'll, you'll, you'll be familiar with the struggle. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit. The struggle between hope and despair. The, the struggle between the senses and faith. So here we begin. And let me just say at the outset, most conservative theologians believe this is David. And, and, but because it's, it's not attributed to David in any, in any kind of official way, I, don't, I'm not, I think it is David, but I'm not going to use his name. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's not only confessing his overwhelming need for God, he's talking also about his perceived estrangement from God. I hear this a lot. As I mentioned to you earlier, a hard time will come into... A Christian's life, and 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 they'll they'll want to say, "Well, where's the good? I thought God promised me good." Jeremiah thirty two forty one. I will rejoice in doing them good. God says, "He is doing you good in the trial." You know, I'm going to talk more about it in a minute. But this is the problem we we don't have a good we don't have a godly definition of what good is. We think good is self interest and self promotion and self enrichment. We, that's what we think when we, when we hear the word good. God's thinking about something altogether different. <laughs> something infinitely more valuable than mere temporal happiness and mere temporal prosperity. God has eternal prosperity in mind. That's what God's thinking about. His ways are not our ways. And we know in the New Testament, you know, people say, well, Jim, I thought Romans 8.28 was, was true. Where's the good? Where's the good? Again, it's, the problem is with our definition. I like how C.S. Lewis talks about this in his article uh, entitled Divine Goodness. Lewis says, God's love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Don't you love that? Let me read it to you again. God's love is something more stern and splendid than 
mere kindness. I love that. And he goes on to say, God will take endless trouble and doubtless give endless trouble for us to know Him more fully. God is the master artisan. He keeps His hands on the clay. He never loses interest. He never loses interest. He never becomes dispassionate. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. Everything else is second. Do you understand? Everything else is a big number too. He's going to bring you into conformity with Jesus. He's going to bring you into intimacy with Him. Where you love Him so much, it doesn't, happen what, it doesn't matter what happens today. It doesn't really matter. I love my God so much. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. My heart is full. <laughs> I'm like Paul in prison after an unjust beating in chains. I sing. I sing. Because I'm in relationship with God. Lewis says it perfectly. God's love is too splendid. God's love is more splendid than you think. You just thought, you thought His love was about making your life better in, 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 in superficial ways. Wrong. He's going to bring you to Himself into deep, profound, life-changing, heart-quaking intimacy. This is what God is doing with His people. Lewis goes on, he says, you know, when we complain about the heat and the pressure and the duration of the trial, he says, man, we're complaining about divine goodness. We're really complaining uh, about the thing we say we want. Go out and Google the article and read it for yourself. I think you'll find it interesting. It's called Divine Goodness by C.S. Lewis. We talked about this a few weeks ago as we were in uh, the 23rd Psalm. Um, you may remember I gave you a quote from Jeannie Allen's book entitled Anything. She's talking about her friend Rachel. And her friend Rachel says this, you have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really you don't know the difference. <laughs> you don't know the difference. I... Be careful how you speak about the things God brings into your life. God is good. And if it's hard today, God's doing a big thing in your life. Not some little thing. He's doing some big thing. What does James say? James chapter 1, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because God's in it. God is in the trial. As we've been saying, that's true for the Christian. We know that for the unbeliever, it's just a lot of wasted pain. But that's not true for us. Jeannie Allen goes on to say, the hard things in life have always given her more of God. So God is in the psalmist's trial. He's taking the psalmist through the valley of the shadow of death. He's taking the psalmist to... A better place. Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's true what Charles Spurgeon says about this text. I like it. Because he's, he's convinced this is about David. David says this warrior man, he's a warrior. 
He says, I cry all day long. This guy is up against the wall. He's in utter and complete and total depression and despair. This is David, the warrior king. Most theologians believe. You know, for a man like that to, to cry uncontrollably, you just don't see that. I think it gives us some small sense of the despair that he is in. So let me stop and ask you, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that kind of despair? Well, what I want to say to you is, if you haven't, you probably will be. Uh, again, I'm an old guy. I've been there. Um, and we're not supposed to be surprised. When it comes, we're supposed to be ready to look at God when it comes. And there's a beautiful thing here. He talks about this te His tears. How many of you know Psalm 56.8? You've got to love it. The psalmist says, David says, You have taken account of my wanderings and you have put my tears in your bottle. They Are they not in your book? God has accounted for every one of them. Amen? None of your tears are in vain. God is doing some awesome, mysterious, beautifully good thing in every one. He's counted them all. They're in a bottle. He's keeping track. His tears are precious to His bride. He's not going to give you one more tear, beloved, than you need. Or that is warranted. Moving on in verse 3, he talks about this, this, this allegation from the, the adversary, where is your God? You know, you hear this, don't you? If you're a Christian, you've probably heard this. I've heard this. Where's your God now? You know, you're, you're in a hard place. Where's your God now? The unbeliever loves to say that. Where's your God now? Right? We know where He is. He's on His throne and He's loving me. We know the unbeliever can't get. We know the unbeliever can't hear that. They don't have the ears to hear it. They don't have the eyes to see it. But we need to say it, <laughs> right? He's loving me. He's drawing me deeper. He's drawing me deeper in the trial. Verse four: These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with. The voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. This verse uh, is another reason many believe that, 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 that this psalm was penned by David because they believe that he's either on the run from Saul or he's on the run from, uh, from Absalom. And he can't go to the temple. He can't, he can't go to the tabernacle. He can't be with God's people. He can't worship God in, in God's house with God's people. And he hates it, Right? It's why I see Him exist. So, you guys that speak English, you can come to Milan from all over the world and you can still be with God's people. It's non-negotiable. i got to be with God's people, right? You know, I meet many internationals. It's kind of negotiable. Well, I come to church if it fits my schedule. Well, it's not like that with David. David says, man, I miss it. i got to have it. i got to be with God's people. God does stuff in the body, mysterious and beautiful things in the body 
When the body comes together, we have the command, Hebrews 10 something, 25 I think, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, I'm always constantly amazed at how it's really an issue of convenience for many who call themselves Christians. Well, if it's convenient, I go. If it fits my schedule, I'll go. If not, it doesn't really matter too much. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. David wasn't like this. David was cut off from the people of God. And it was part of his despair. Yes, it was Hebrews 10.25. Verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Don't you love it? What's He doing? Someone tell me. Someone, so what's He doing? He's preaching to Himself. Right? He's fighting the, he's fighting the despair. Isn't that what you do? When the despair begins to set in? I love this. this, this listen, man. Next time... In the hard place, go to Psalm 42. And watch what he does. These are not worldly platitudes or some psychobabble for some guy with perfect hair on the internet. No. It, it's, about, it's about him looking at God. He says, I, my, hope is, my hope is in God. And you know what we've been saying in Psalm 24, Psalm 117, 121? He's the Creator, Redeemer, King of glory, Helper, Keeper, Protector, God. He says, I'm in despair, but I look at this great God. Beloved, I hope we take this to heart. I hope we take this to heart. The psalmist says, I look at the Creator of Octurus and Entades. And if you don't know what that is, you missed the sermon last week and I'm not going to tell you. This God speaks worlds and suns and stars and supernovas and hundreds of billions of galaxies into existence. I'm not going to despair. This is my Father. He's my Father. He's my Redeemer. It's true. We talked about it Thursday night. When you wake up in the morning, there's a voice in your head. Amen? Sin is talking to you. <laughs> and you don't need to listen to yourself. You need to preach to yourself. Because if you don't take your thoughts captive. Your thoughts will take you captive. So, I, I encourage you to take a, a, a pointer here from the psalmist. When your thoughts accuse God, when your thoughts are about self-pity, preach to yourself. When, when you are in genuine despair, and sometimes we are, preach to yourself, beloved. This is the, as uh, Matthew Henry says, this is the divine antidote. Preach to yourself. I love this. I think it's beautiful. The psalmist knows he can't listen to himself. He must preach to himself. And his God is bigger than despair. His God will not abandon him in the hard place. And he knows his God is working for good. We know the great Psalm 30, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping will last for the night, but the shout of joy, what? Comes in the morning. So this is what every true believer knows. Verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me, therefore I remember thee. 
from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. What's he talking about here? He says, man, he says, I remember God's past faithfulness to me. You know, I journal. I want you ask to raise your hands. I journal because sometimes I go back to my journal and I read God's faithfulness to me. I read when I was in despair before. And I read how God brought me out. This is why I journal. Because I'm weak. (laughs) I'm a man of weak faith. But I journal the greatness of God for myself. The greatness of God in my life. You know? And I never forget. I have a history with God. David has a history with God. Maybe it's David. (laughs) I have a history with God. I remember when He showed up in the past. I know He'll show up again. This is what I think is being said here. Beloved, I think this is the point. I'll just tell you, 20 years ago, uh, I felt genuine despair. And I'll tell you two things about it. God met me there. God changed me there. And God brought me out. So, if you enter into genuine despair and you're all alone, you feel like you're all alone, you're not. God is with you. But if you call me, I've been there. You know, when you can't cry anymore, when you can't hurt anymore, you're just numb. And so, um, God can be trusted in the storm. Verse 7 and 8. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy water at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Let me just read it to you, verse 7 from Eugene Peterson's message. Paraphrase it. Makes it. Maybe make it a little clearer. Peterson paraphrases it like this. Chaos calls to chaos. To the tune of white water rapids, your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. So what's the psalmist saying? He's acknowledging that God is in this storm. This is not bad luck. These are God's waves. This is God's storm. And God is doing something in it. The psalmist understands that. He does, he's not infected with that, you know, me-centered theology, you know, <laughs> you know, that health, wealth, and prosperity stuff. And that God, oh, God wishes it could go better for you, but, but it can't because he's so pathetic. Or worse, they say, you don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith, it would all be better. So we're supposed to worship our faith instead of God. Which is the bottom line to that kind of teaching. The psalmist acknowledges that God is sovereign. And and, and did you notice what he says here in verse 8? As we talked about last week, that God is our 24-7 Guardian, the psalmist says, God's loving kindness is with me in the day. His song is with me in the night. These are God's waves. These are God's breakers. But God is doing something in them. 
because He loves me. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Did you notice the reverential way in which the psalmist asks the question why? I've told you many times, I get a lot of why questions that are really backhanded accusations against God. You know, it's like, why God? It's kind of like that. But did you notice the reverential way that, that the psalmist says, he says, he says, uh, God is my rock! Why? Listen, if you're going to, if you, if you feel compelled to ask God why, you know, we've talked a lot about it in this church, God rarely answers those kinds of questions. Um, I've never been aware of Him actually answering that question for, for anyone I've been ever, ever been close to. And I've really gotten to the place where I don't need to know I don't really need to ask God why, but if you feel like you need to ask God why, we know Job finally asked God why, right? If you feel like you need to ask Him, if you're going to ask Him, ask Him like this. <laughs> oh God, my rock! If you're going to question God, at least worship God. Amen? So this is a great, this is a great place for us to, to pick up something helpful, I think. Let me close. Let me just re-examine. Okay. Let me re-examine the psalm. The psalmist is in despair and the battle is on, right? Between his common sense and his faith. Verse 1 and 2, the psalmist begins with his faith. He's thirsting for God. Verse 3 and 4, his natural senses complain about the current circumstances. Verse 5, his supernatural faith silences the complaint with hope in God. Verse 6 and 7, the natural senses renew their complaint regarding the, the current trouble. Uh, verse 8, the supernatural faith answers with, with trust in God's sovereign loving kindness. Verse 9 and 10, the natural senses once again repeats its complaint. And then verse 11, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Did you notice faith gets the last word? And this is what I'm calling you to tonight, beloved. I know that our flesh assaults us. I know that. It happens. It happens in all of our lives. It's that thing Paul's talking about in Romans 7. We get that. But you've got to preach to yourself. And you just got to keep looking at God. This is what the psalmist is teaching us here. This is what God is teaching us here. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the psalmist gets the victory by how? Anticipation! <laughs> Isn't that what faith is all about? I anticipate delivery. I don't see it yet. I really, really want it. I'm anticipating it. This is what Christians do. I anticipate. I anticipate deliverance from the hard thing. And we learned this when we talked about Jeremiah and Lamentations. Some, maybe it was last year sometime. You, you may remember that he's right in the middle of his lament. Jeremiah is. And then he says, I remember. You remember what he says? He says, I remember God's loving kindness. And before his circumstance, his outward circumstances had changed, his heart had changed, and he wouldn't let his he he, he wouldn't let his uh, uh, his circumstance dictate his view of God. He let his view of God dictate his circumstance, and he began to get the, he got the mental and emotional and psychological and spiritual victory before anything changed. 
This is real faith, beloved. This is real faith. So when the storm comes, I want you to remember when the dreams are shattered, when the tears won't stop and the anguish has taken hold, I want you to remember Psalm 42. And I want you to fight the good fight of faith. That's really what this psalm is about. And I just want to close by saying, if you trust in God to give you anything less than Himself, you can't trust Him for that. He's going to give you Himself. That's what you can trust Him for. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. That's what you can trust Him for. He's going to complete your sanctification. That's what you can trust Him for. He can be, he's a promise keeper. Every promise He's ever made in proper context, the problem is we take them out of context, but in proper context, every promise will be kept. He is a promise-keeping God. So to quote C.S. Lewis, His love for you, it's a splendid kind of love. <laughs> it's bigger than you think. God's definition of good is more than you think. More than I think. The God of angel armies is always by our side. I'm going to close with just this verse. I've, I've used it three or four or five times in the last month or so to close with, but you've got to love it. Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now says the Lord your Creator, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Mine. Right? I'm God's. Wait a minute. I'm a child of God's, but I'm in utter despair. Either God's a joke, he's a, he, he, he doesn't have any power, he can't, he can't fix this, He couldn't stop this, or He's a great, awesome, sovereign God that His Word claims He is, and He's doing something good I don't understand. So which one do you, want to, you, know, which one do you think it is? <laughs> do you think He's a pathetic God, or is He, a, is he a, an awesome, sovereign God who's doing something you don't understand? It, you, it's, your, it's your decision. You make the choice. But he goes on. When you pass through the waters, this is a trial, I'm going to be with you, he says. <laughs> he says, and when you pass through the rivers, this is a trial, he says, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, this is a trial, he says, you will not be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Amen? When it comes... When the shattered dream comes, when the heartache comes, when the despair comes, when it comes, go to Psalm 42 and fight for your faith. Just like David, if it's David or the psalmist. Why have you become disturbed within me, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this awesome Word. Forgive us when we're not ready for the hard things. Particularly if we've been Christians for any amount of time, we, we should know Your Word. We, sh we, should be, we should move on from the milk that, that we began with. We should understand the deeper things of Scripture. We should understand your loving hand in the hard providence, we should understand it. So Lord, thank You for this Word. Thank You for this psalm that 
gives us a template to, to fight for our faith when the storm comes. And we know that the storm's coming. We know you've told us the storm will come. It's coming. And Lord, I pray that we'll be ready when it comes to praise You, to give glory to the name of Jesus. That it would be our opportunity to evangelize everyone around us as they watch us stand on the rock in the midst of a storm. Loving Jesus, praising Jesus, bringing honor and glory to the name of Jesus. It's in His name that I pray. Amen. Uh, we'll just dismiss. I think I went a little long tonight. I apologize. So we'll just dismiss. We normally sing a song. But listen, I know if you have any questions about the sermon, let me know. Um,